you know, your heart is struggling with what this really means, what, you know, this, this, this God who made all creation, and, and what does this really mean for me personally? And uh, some hearts might even in this room be rejecting that as, um, as a reality. But weight also goes with the word worthy. He is weighty because he's worthy. He's worthy of all our praise. You don't draw a breath without him. You don't make a step without him. And I pray that today that you will hear that. So <laughs> uh, if you're here for the first time, uh, we're going through the book of Romans. Uh, God's kind of gotten us going, uh, uh, doing that in, in sections and steps and not straight through. And it's probably for our good and his glory. So we'll just follow him. But we're going to go to Romans 3. So if you do not have a book, a Bible, and you would like one, raise your hand and Joe will get that Bible to you. Um, we all like to, uh, we, around here, we like to be in the Word. We want you all to be good Bereans, and so that means that what's being said can be, can be brought right back to the Word of God, and you can see that it's true, and it's, it's according to His Word. So, Romans 3, we're going to be reading uh, the 9th through the 20th verse. We're going to walk through this together. Uh, and so I'm going to start out with just one verse. Uh, that's all we need at this point to get this thing rolling. And so uh, if you're there, I'll give you a minute. Love to see those pages open. Praise God. Praise God. Even on the phones. I can now spiritually see pages turning on phones. That's just, that's been a transformation in my life. And so I'm really glad of that. But uh, before we get started, let's go, to the, let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, um, as this whole morning has been, so this moment is also. It is yours. And uh, the most important thing for somebody who may have walked in here today um, uh, not really understanding uh, what it is to walk in faith, not really understanding this relationship with the Creator, not even sure that uh, there is a Creator. I pray that, Father, that as we uh, walk together through this Word, that our hearts are drawn in unity uh, to it, and that, Father, um, um, whatever is said and, and, and spoken, that, Father, that it is of you, and that, Lord, you speak to each one of our hearts, uh, because that is what's important to you. Um, yes, we need to discern. You've given us a brain. We're not setting our brain aside, but, Father, we understand that the brain without the heart connected in one um, never brings uh, completeness to um, uh, to what is, is happening in front of our eyes. And so, Father, I just pray that you'll bless us uh, with this unity within our hearts and our minds. Lord, we love you. We trust you. This is your word. It's not ours. And so, Lord, we just surrender ourselves to it and believe it because you said it. Uh, there's nothing that you have said that has not come true. And, uh, and so, Lord, uh, let that be in our hearts today. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Starting with the ninth verse, it says this, Romans 3. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that the Jews and the Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. As we spend this time together, we come to the first crescendo of Paul. Like a conductor who brings forth... Um, um, brings his score to movements. So uh, the Apostle Paul is bringing to crescendo his first movement, and that is um, our absolute need for him, our absolute lostness without him, our, the weakness that we have in our sinful nature. We don't have the ability to save ourselves. We can't think ourselves into saving our lives. We can't act ourselves into saving our lives. And so he starts out talking about this grace of God 
and about the gospel of God. And then he goes into three, uh, three movements, which we have gone through. Verse, uh, chapter 1, 18 through uh, 32, he exposes the unrighteousness of the Gentile world. Somebody who does not have the Lord in their life and how naturally they are prone to sinfulness, not because of their environment, because of inside their hearts. It's inside their hearts. The second movement in, in Romans 2, 1 through 16 exposes the hypocritical righteousness of people who say, well, I can, I can do it right. I'm a moral enough person that I can live right. And so he exposes those hypocritical uh, righteousness of the mor uh, mor moralizers. And then uh, um, Romans 2, 17 through 3, 8, he exposes the self-confident righteousness of religious people especially the Jews. Probably one of the greatest um, accusations against the church is that they, they live as though um, they have it all right within themselves instead of their humility before a God who makes them right. And so, and so in these verses... Um, Two phrases that I think are fascinating as the Holy Spirit begins to reveal this. He reveals the phrase, already charged. Did you notice that? That we have already made the charge. Already charged, meaning it is a legal term of referring to the truth that someone has already been indicted for an offense. Natural, natural humans do not, have to work, do not work from a blank, clean slate to become dark. They already are. Every single one of us already were. And then second of all, um, the phrase under the power of sin. It means to be under the power, authority, and control of something or someone. Now you think about this, especially the Jewish audience was listening and they were like pushing back at this because the Jewish people believed that by virtue of being Jews... They were already righteous. By virtue of the fact that you're sitting in a church, somehow that makes you already righteous. No, no, no. And so the importance of uh, these verses in chapter 3 is, is that we're going to study is to get a right perspective of ourselves. Um. To get a right perspective of ourselves, um, where we started out in, and no matter, so, so this, this is the reason. No matter who we meet, no matter what the condition of their life is, we have a connecting point with them. Because every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I think the saddest person who calls themselves a Christian is the person who doesn't realize that. Because that is where humility comes from. That is, in fact, let me put this in, in just a, a little bit different. Um, the, the, and, and all three of us might be in this room. So if you are one of these, just, just connect with it. Um, there are those, when I talked about, the, uh, about being ex exposing the unrighteousness of Gentiles, they don't believe they need grace. They don't believe they need it. Um, and they don't want it. Uh, the hypocritical uh, mor moralizers are those who believe that their own efforts, their own human efforts get them there. And so they're always working on trying to make themselves better so they can, they can meet some level in their mind. Uh, of it, and then, um, and then the second, the self-confident righteousness of the Jewish people—that somehow religion and works gets them there. Okay, does that make sense to you? And why do I say this? Because of this, we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. There's no levels of people here. Listen to me, even saved. You have to realize this. Your salvation has not put you in a, I'm a better person than other people. It puts you in a place of saying, you know what? I know how desperately I need Jesus Christ. I like that song that Ryan sung. Desperately needed to be rescued. 
at 62 years old, I understand more today of my desperation for his rescue. Every day. What that does is it drives us to relationship with each other, with others, unbelievers and believers alike, maybe at different levels, but it puts us in the same place so that we can talk to each other, so that we can lo uh, love each other. Because getting to know God begins with seeing ourselves aright and seeing God right is getting to know ourselves. That's what the whole doctrine of total depravity is all about. It doesn't mean that every human is as sinful as they can be. But within the members of our human natural nature, it is tainted and twisted in every part of our humanness. J.R. Packer says, No one is as bad as he or she might be, while on the other hand, no action of ours is as good as it should be. In of ourself. Why do we struggle with this? Why is this an issue? Why, why does Paul have to address this? You think about to even the Jewish people that were listening at the time who were religious people. Why? It's our attitude towards sin. Jerry Bridges, in his book, Pursuit of Holiness, writes this about sin. He said, our first problem is that our attitude towards sin is more self-centered than God-centered. We are more concerned about our own victory over sin than we are about the fact that our sins grieve the heart of God. W.S. Plummer says, we never see sin aright until we see it against God. David agrees with him in saying in Psalm 51, 4, against you and you alone have I sinned. God wants obedience, not victory. Obedience is orientated toward God. Victory is orientated toward self. Obedience does lead to victory. But when we turn that around, it skews our whole view of sin. The second problem with sin is that we don't take some sin seriously. I would say today that a huge area overlooked today is lying. I have seen a huge increase in lying where people are protecting their lives with little lies that they say. We call them white lies. But we forget Solomon when he says this in Solomon 2.15, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyard. Our vineyard is our in bloom, meaning that the little sins are the real sins that may eat our life up even more than the big ones. Andrew Bonner says, It is not the importance of the thing, but the majesty of the lawgiver that is to be the standard of obedience. Does that make sense to you? Even in the church, we have come to this. Even in the church, We've come to this place where we kind of subvert sin and we kind of push it down and say, it's not as big of a deal. And it's so sad. The gift that we've all been given in regards to sin is guilt. This is what Paul is really appealing to, to, to touch the bone of guilt for the realization that's really what God, a person, is to do in his word here. The ancient uh, Roman philosopher said this, every guilty person is his own hangman. Proverbs 28, 17 says, anyone tormented by the guilt of murder will seek refuge in the grave. Let no one hold them back. Meaning, the effect of sin is merciless to the soul. It will work out its proper effect if we don't hold them back. What does that mean? It means if we don't enable if we don't tell them their sin's not that bad, if we let God's word work on us, we will see what's going on. And so Paul, like a good rabbi, is coming to this point in Romans in which he is, he is telling us, all right, y'all in the same boat, 
And I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove it to you. He then, like a good rabbi, strings together like pearls passages from the Old Testament. He supplies a series of seven Old Testament quotes from Ecclesiastes, five from Psalms, and one from Isaiah to bear witness to the truth in our humanness in unrighteousness. And so he's going to do this in three ways. First of all, verse 10 through 12, he's going to talk about our character. In verse 13 through 14, he's going to talk about our conversations and what comes out of our mouth. And finally, 15 through 17, he's going to talk about our conduct and our actions. Now, my challenge to you is this. As we go through them, see if one or two or more connect. See if you've seen that in your life. And if you can identify with it. Because if we are truly are all in the same boat, then we should be able to connect with what he, Paul is saying. So let's go ahead and start this journey together. I'm kind of excited about it, and I hope that you are too. I don't know why it's exciting to go through something where it's convicting to our hearts, but um, as in my Christian life, I have come to realize that, uh, that God really desires um, us to know him and to know ourselves honestly, and to not live hidden lives. How many of us have hid, lived hidden lives where we've just kind of acted one way, but we're behind the scenes? We know exactly who we are, and God does not want that. He wants us to live exposed lives that as it's exposed to him and exposed lives to our own hearts so that we can be honest and real and open. And so he begins this. Verse 10 says, I'm going to read 10 through 17 uh, just to get us uh, context. Go ahead, read along with me. It says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, no, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away, and they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, the poison of viper is on their lips, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. You have to understand, no way as a Pharisee would he have written these words. Only as a true believer could he write these words because a Pharisee would have been making time up to justify, to justify because Pharisees built on their own righteousness. But as a believer, Paul's own eyes are opened up to the truth and he can, and he can see it. And so he's preaching it. Does that make sense to you all? I know there's a spirit in this room that is really kind of, I'm not sure about this Christianity. Hear this. God is here today speaking to your heart, saying, hear what I'm saying. Find the unity with these people around you that have also had and have sin in their life and find that you, if you can find unity there, you can find unity at the, at the foot of my cross. And so, so he starts out and he says, as it is written. We know that he's referring to the Old Testament, but the impact of it is so much more. Galatians 3.22 uh, many will have this scripture in your Bible connected to this, but listen to what it says. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. You, you hear the unity there. Everything is locked up. We're all the same, locked together in the start of our lives in sin. The message says it this way. Its purpose was to make obvious to everyone that we are in ourselves 
out of right relationship with God and therefore to show us the futility of devising, listen to me, some religious system for getting by our own efforts what we can only get by waiting in faith for God to complete his promises. If there's somebody in here today that has been hurt by the church and you've not been in church for a long time, and it's because you've walked in before and you have looked at the hypocrisy of the system in place. Paul's saying amen. It is not a structure or a form of religion that puts together a construct of righteousness. But it is a heart that comes honestly before a God and says, just as I am, here I come. So scripture reveals to us the actual possession that we hold on to in our, human, in our natural humanness so that we can see our need to release them, to possess that which God can only give. Someone once said, no human can possess eternal life unless they're willing to lose that which their sinful nature so dearly wants to hold on to. And every one of us knows it. Every one of us knows that. And so how is this? This is where the three things come in. Character, our conversation, and our conduct. Three things. He wants to, he, he's encompassing the whole of our person through this. So let's find out. First of all, in verse 10 it says, There is no one righteous, not even one. It comes from Psalm 14.1, which says, A fool says in his heart there's no God. They are corrupt and their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. Mankind is naturally, this is the, if you're, if you're writing down, this is kind of the title of it, man absolutely naturally and universally evil. There being absolutely no exceptions. No exceptions. The righteousness of God is a theme not only throughout all scripture, but 66 times in the book of Romans, Paul refers to the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is not referring to a moral activity, but to an inner character that is changed by something that is outside of them. It is a divine transformation that creates, listen to me, a new creation. Not an improved person. You that are struggling with the church, that's, that's the hypocrisy that you've seen right there. Is that when people act like they're an improved person, but behind the scenes you see what they're really like, you go, this thing ain't real. And you're right. It is not an improved person. It is a born-again, transformed, changed blood-bought, child of God, only by his work, not by ours. That is why Jesus himself can say to us, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, because perfection comes from relationship, not from action. Now, the action's going to be moved by that relationship, but initially it is not by action but relationship. Second one, verse 11a. There is no one who understands. Again, going back to Psalm 14.2, the Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there is anyone who understands. The point here, the title, mankind is naturally, spiritually ignorant. Ignorance is defined as a lack of knowledge, but within the construct of ignorance is illiterate which implies a failure, listen to this, to conform to some standard of knowledge. To understand God, to understand God, we have to submit to this word. We have to, we have to say, whatever God says is true. And if we do not, we're ignorant. Because we're unwilling to submit to his standard. We're unwilling to, um, um, yeah, to conform to a standard. 
Um, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says the person without a spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they're discerned only through the Spirit. That is not, that is not a special group of people. That is a gift of grace that God gives to us as we surrender to his word and, as, and we come to the point where we say, you're right, I'm wrong. You're right, I'm wrong. In, uh, in what year was it? In 1971, a story came out of the um, um, uh, Toledo Star, excuse me, not Toledo, um, Toronto Star in Canada about a duck that was named Ringo. Do you remember the story? became infamous. And I think we heard about it uh, throughout, the, throughout the world. You see, the thing is, the duck had made its, made its home a lake and a park. And as it was at that park, it inadvertently had stuck its bill through the tab of a pop can. And so it was unable to open its mouth. And so some visitors that were passing by became very concerned for the life of this duck. And so some park personnel, as well as some animal activists, began a journey of trying to trap this duck and get that, get that tab off of its mouth. Well, I, does anybody remember the story? No, okay. So I, I remembered it. I don't know why, but yeah. I, I, maybe I read it somewhere in, in a book years ago. But anyways, and so they chased this thing all over the park trying to get this. And finally what happened was Ringo got lost. And they were unable to do it. But the interesting thing is, listen to this. Somebody needs to hear this today. The interesting thing was that Ringo determined that the rescue was a threat. And so Ringo ran from the rescue. Would you call that ignorant? Now, I know we're talking about an animal, but let's make this transition to us. Today, Jesus Christ comes as your rescuer. If we had total honesty in the church, I'd like to find out how many of you are running from it because you think it's a threat. And honestly, to your sinful nature, it is a threat. Because, because to receive him, you have to let go of something. And your, your sinful nature says, no, 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 you need that in your life. That's your protection. And it's a lie. It's a lie. And so mankind naturally resists the truth that comes from fear of losing their lifestyle. I found this statement interesting. Men are not sinful and hardened against God because they're ignorant of him. But to the contrary, they are ignorant of, them, of him because of their sinful and hardened disposition. If someone here today is struggling with the reality of God, it's because of what dwells inside of you, not what dwells outside that is threatening you. You need to make that point. You need to understand that truth. And so there's no one that understands. Third, in verse 11b, there is no one who seeks God. Again, from, verse four, uh, from Psalm 14 too, um, there is no anyone who seeks God. Mankind is, this is a title, mankind is rebellious by nature. See, mankind is not primary. You're, you're not rebellious primarily because of your actions. Your actions only reveal your rebellion. You're rebellious because within your spirit, there is a spirit of rebellion. And it just works itself out in action. Does that make sense to you? And it's because no one seeks God. That is, listen, that is why humans can be moral and yet still rebellious. 
your, your level of rebellion is not determined by your, willing, your ability to live out moral action. Your rebellion is determined by your relationship with your creator. Alone. Alone. It's the intimacy of your creator that causes you to, to, to not be rebellious. It's not your actions. And so much has been built on moralism. Do you get that? And so, MacArthur says this, to truly seek for God is to respect and adore his sovereign majesty, to feed on the truth of his word. It is to obey his commandments, to speak to him in prayer, to live consciously in his presence with a desire to please him. David said in Psalm 16, 8, I have set the Lord before me continually. No one who seeks God. Fourth, 12a. All have turned away and they have become worthless. Nope. All have turned away. We're going to stop right there. Listen, mankind is naturally wayward. Psalm 14.3 again says all have turned away. The Greek is naturally leaning in the wrong direction. Isaiah 53 says, We all like sheep have gone astray, and each have turned to our own way. It was in October 25, 1964, the Minnesota Vikings were playing the San Francisco 49ers. Jim Marshall, probably one of the greatest defensive ends, was on Minnesota Vikings team. And as they were playing a defensive play, he saw a stripped ball from one of the receivers. He picked the ball up and ran to the end zone. The only problem was, it was the wrong end zone. And so instead of scoring a touchdown, he scored a safety for the other team, for the 49ers. <laughs> um, I can go on. But the Bible says that there's a way that seems right to man. But in the end, it leads to death. Jesus Christ said, I am the way. I am the way. I am the way. D.L. Moody said that no man is open to God's way unless he's willing to forsake his own. More and more and more. What I experience more and more and more with people is their unwillingness to let go. We have become a very a, a people of protection. We're, we're, we're using physical constructs around us to protect ourselves. And it becomes increasingly more difficult to, um, uh, to reach people who are thinking that they need to hold on to the physical for their protection. And in a... In a um, uh, materialistic world, that is, uh, in some instances, besides the grace of God, almost impossible. So fifth, verse 12b, there is no, uh, they have become, they've together become worthless. Mankind is naturally spiritually worthless. Verse 14, or chapter 14 of Psalms says this, they have become corrupt, corrupt. The meaning in the King James is filthy or ruined, no longer useful for the original purpose it was created. In the Greek, it is a picture of milk that has turned sour and rancid, unfit to drink. Jesus Christ says these words in the 15th chapter of John, the 6th verse, if you, do not, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown out uh, to the fire, and burned. Our worth really comes down to the worth we attribute to God. 
Worth is, as I said at the beginning of this message or in, in our service, that worth is defined as weight. What weight does God have in our lives? Weight is measured is the measure of obedience that he has to direct the steps of our lives. What weight do we give God? Sixth, verse 12c. There is no one who does good, not even one. The title is, Mankind is Naturally Corrupt. Naturally Corrupt. Psalms 14 says again, there is no one who does good, not even one. Good is defined as, um, is not defined as morality, but as holy perfection. The definition of corrupt is change from a sound condition to an unsound one. Every single one of us is born unsound in our capacity of life. Because of the fall, it is our reality. No longer the capacity to be wholly good apart from an indwelling presence of Jesus Christ. So now, these are the, you would classify this as the characters. The characters um, um, uh, are our characteristics, our character. But they lead themselves into our conversations, don't they? Do you ever think about that and what you talk about? What comes out of your mouth? Jesus said this, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Do you like your heart? Do you? Well, find out what your mouth is saying. See if you like it. If it bothers you, it should. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. An evil man brings up evil things out of the evil stored up in him. The next four points focus on conversation. Let's listen to what they say. Seventh, verse 13a, their throats are open graves. Open graves comes from Psalm, uh, same exact quote comes from Psalm 5.9. Listen, this is the title. Mankind are naturally spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 Tells us that, right? Ephesians 2 says these words to us. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the rulers of the kingdom of air and the spirit who is now at over all things. Jesus affirmed this in Matthew 13, 37. says, For by your words you have been acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Listen to what your heart is saying. Listen to what's coming out of your heart. Is it bitterness? Is it anger? Is it, is it cussing and swearing and an and, and absolute un, uh, unbridled tongue? Or is it controlled? Is it real? Is it honest? Is it true? For it tells you what's in your heart. Remember, you are your own hangman. Listen. Listen to what the noose is saying. Eighth, 13b, says their tongues practice deceit. The title is, Mankind is Naturally Deceitful. In Psalm 5, 9b, it says, With their tongues they tell lies. It is the act of continual uh, deceiving. It is a picture of the fisherman who puts on the meat on the hook to cover the danger. For you who are not, um, uh, I shouldn't say it that way. Um, we have seen this in the church. No time in history has deceitfulness hit the church in so many ways and, and, and people have been pulled from pulpits and churches have stopped and, and, and these actions have happened. And in the history of America, in the history of America, one of the biggest churches in America in a day closed its door. 15,000 people. Deceit. Deceit. If there's anything I try to do as your pastor is to be absolutely honest with you. I do not want a hint of deception in this place. And I know sometimes that rubs up against you. Um, but wouldn't you rather me be honest? Always? 
and you can be honest with me, and, and some of you have. And I think I've received it in humility. We need to do that in the church. Because desires to catch you. Psalm 36, I want to read for you. If you want to go with me there, you can. Psalm 36 says these words. Verse 2 through verse 4. Psalm 36. In their own eyes they flatter themselves. Too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or to do good. Listen to this. Even on their beds they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. Deceit. Is that you? Is that me? Eighth, 13b. Their tongues, excuse me, the poison of the vipers is on their lips. Thirteen C. I think I don't know if I said that correctly. Psalm 143 is where this comes from. Mankind naturally works to perfect the art of deception. I found it interesting. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about John the Baptist when he called the Pharisees vipers. Did you know that in chapter 12, Jesus did the same thing? And um, why is this so significant? Because it is the, it is the viper itself that um, in its natural state, the fangs are are up in its gums. But as soon as it throws its head back to bite, the fangs come out, they push against a sac, which is poison, and it ejects and they go in. We work at deceit sometimes like that. We come off like we're really nice people. We come off like we really care, and yet... All the while and back. What is our objective? What's really in our heart? This happened in David's life. As him and Bathsheba had uh, sex outside of marriage. She got pregnant. And what did he do? He acted like a viper. He first called her husband home, hoping her to get in the sack with, with his wife so that it could cover up. And then when that didn't work, because the darn dude had so much integrity, he wouldn't sleep with his own wife, then he sent orders to the front line to have him killed. And so, mankind naturally works to perfect his art of deception. Do you believe that? Let me ask this question. Have you had people in your life that you started out with them and you thought they were pretty cool? And as it went on, they started to work a while in your life that was really like, whoa, what, is, what, what are they doing? What are they doing? A woman starts to date a man and he is like Prince Charming, Right? Then all of a sudden, he starts hitting her and starts abusing her. Are you serious? Viper. Can you connect with that? Have you been that person to someone else? Challenging. Tenth, verse 14. Naturally is given. Those are full of cursing and bitterness. Title. Mankind naturally is given to speaking hatred. Psalm 10, 7 says, His mouth is full. This trouble and evil are under his tongue. This is the fact that the conversation toward other people is for their defilement, slandering, and for their worse. It is a criticism used for the destruction of reputation of a person, not for their good. Psalm 64, no, I'm, I'm, 
for time. I'm just gonna, Psalm 64, three through four, read it when you get home. <laughs> Ephesians 4:29 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for the building up of those who are listening according to their needs that it may benefit them. Do you converse in a way that benefits? You know, it's interesting. You know, we meet, when we hear cursing, um, we, we kind of we hear somebody swearing, right? Taking the Lord's name in vain and those kind of things. That's where my mind went. But I didn't realize that, and I, didn't, I don't think about, do I speak curses over other people? The way that I talk about people, is it a curse or is it a blessing? We're naturally prone to curse and to criticize. This is where we move in from. So we've, we've talked about character. We've talked about conversation. Have you at all connected? Have you seen it in you? This is important. So if you don't get it, you ain't going to get a right view of God. I don't care if you've been in the church for years. The third is conduct. So it's the 11th one. 15th verse says this. They shed their feet are swift to shed blood. Title is mankind is naturally given to murder. Oh. Really? A Scottish evangelist by the name of Robert uh, Halen said these words. The most savage animals do not destroy so many of their own species to appease their hunger. As man destroys his fellows. To saturate his ambition, his revenge, and his greed. When it comes to abortion, they have come now to conclude that, uh, the, that a, a soldier in um, World War II had more of a chance to survive than the babies in America. And it's, and, you know, it's time for that to stop. But Jesus raised the bar when he regarded murder as hatred. That if you hate someone, you murder them. We all have experienced a shedding of blood, both physically and spiritually, over the last few years. And it's time for it to end. Twelfth, verse 16. Ruin and misery mark their ways. Mankind are prone to general destruction. This is the picture of breaking something into pieces, completely shattering, causing total devastation. I used the word abuse before, but it is a common word today, as common as Amazon deliveries. Abuse is horrific. I had the, the privilege and honor of meeting somebody this week who had something called DID. It is dissociative identity disorder. It happens when a person is so abused at such a level that their, their mind determines that the host can't handle it, and so they break into pieces. These pieces get identities, and they get names. And it's all to protect the person from the memory of that abuse. And so... Uh, I could go on and on with that, but I'm, I don't want, I just, I just want you, it, it is, and, it, and it is a growing issue in our country. The interesting thing is, in some instances, with some parts, the host won't even know what they're talking about when the part is talking. It's not demonic. It's all of the same person. It's just broken up for protection. It's actually a gift from God. Because if a person would stay whole under the abuse, they probably would take their life. In fact, this person attempted to take their life several times. And so, and so of course, God wants wholeness, right? But this is the problem that, that is growing in our country because ruin and misery mark their way. And then finally, 13th, verse 17. This is the way of peace they do not know. Mankind naturally has no avenue for peace. 
We live in a current time where peace has, is as elusive as crunchy Jif peanut butter in the store. Now, I say that because I am a crunchy peanut butter Jif person. My wife is a smooth. And that makes sense to you, right? Crunchy's ADHD, smooth has got it together. But, but we haven't been able to find it for months in the store. And, um, and the same thing with peace. The same thing with peace. Strife, separation, brokenness, bitterness is the wind that is blowing in our environment today. It's affecting the church Why? Because we've forgotten that peace never comes from our understanding. It always, always, always surpasses our understanding. We do not have the capacity to find peace. There's only one peace, and that's the prince of peace. Thirteen charges that reveal through character, conversation, and conduct. I'm going to ask you again, did the Holy Spirit reveal one to you? Did he? Are you with me? Paul thought so important that he, uh, he, didn't, he, he couldn't go on into the gospel of God until his hearers got this. Now, subvertently, what is going on under all this? What, what, what's happening? It's in verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is the problem. I read one statement this week that said that, you know, you can acknowledge that there's a God, and yet do you really care what satisfies him, what he wants from you, what his purpose is, what grieves his heart? Does that really matter to you? He says it's fear that then enters you into that realm where it actually becomes personal. What God cares about, you care about. About having the mind of Christ. I saw a, uh, a statement uh, that was said about sin. I, t- I said to you earlier that, um, uh, that uh, there is a, you know, that we have a problem with how we view sin. Listen to this. It's, a, uh, it's, a, it's kind of a poem. Um, really is the gripping uh, description of sin. It is a debt, a burden, a thief, a sickness, a leprosy, a plague, a poison, a a serpent, a sting. Everything that man hates, it is. A load of curses and calamities beneath those crushing, most intolerable pressure. The whole creation groaneth. Who is this hoary sexton that digs man a grave? Who is the painted temptress, temptress that steals his virtue? Who is the murderess that destroys his life? Who is the sorceress that, finds this, that first deceives and then damns his soul to hell? It's sin. Who with icy breath blight the fair blossoms of youth? Who breaks the heart of parents? Who brings old men's gray hair with sorrow to its grave? Sin. Who by a most hideous metamorphosis than Ovid even fancied changes gentle children into vipers, tender mothers into monsters, and their fathers into worse than Herod's, the murderess of their own innocence? Sin. Who casts the apple of discord on household hearts? Who lights the torch of wars and bears its blazing over trembling lands? Who by division in the church rends Christ's seamless robe? Sin. Who is the Delilah that sings the Nazarite asleep and delivers up the strength of God into the hands of the uncircumcised? Who with winning smiles on her face, honey flattery on her lips, stands at the door, offers the sacred rite of hospitality, and then suspicion sleeps, treacherously pierces our temples with a nail. 
What fair siren is, is this who's seated on a rock by a deadly pool, smiles to deceive, sings to lure, kisses to betray, and flings her arms around our neck to leap with us into perdition? Sin! Who turns the soft and gentlest heart to stone? Who hurls reason from her lofty throne and impels sinners mad as, as garrison swine down the precipice into the lake of fire? Sin! It's a serious thing. And it is the fear of God that drives us to see it for what it is. It is that we come to a place where we say, God, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Listen to this as it, as it concludes. Now we know whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. Listen, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one should be, uh, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. You see, the Jewish people, as well as some of those people you've seen in the church, they proclaim the law, but they do not live under the law because they believe they're above the law. And so they become a law in themselves, and that's where hypocrisy comes into play. But there is... And I pray it's happening right now. I pray that there's a silence. There's a silence in your heart as you have considered these 13 things in your life. If you've considered how the ramifications have worked out in your own existence and because there's a coming silence, Revelations 8.1 says that when the seventh seal was opened that there was silence for half an hour. Why is that? Because the absolute reality of the sovereignty of God and over all the universe, over everything, boom! Nobody can say anything before that. Have you ever been silenced before? Have you ever had an event that has happened in front of your face that just, oh, I can't say anything right now. It's just like, what just happened? And I'm not even saying it out loud. This law that speaks to us comes in two ways. It is the law of truth, and it's the law of relationship. The law of truth says this from Deuteronomy 5 and from Exodus 20. It says this. If you have loved something more than God, you are an idolater. If you ever worship something more than God in unfaithfulness, you're a Satan worshiper. If you've ever taken the Lord's name in vain and not spoken it out of reverence for God, you're a blasphemer. If you don't take intimate time with God, you're a Sabbath breaker. If you dishonor your parents, you dishonor God and the promises, your life will be cut short. If you have killed or hated someone, you're a murderer. If you have sex outside of marriage or lusted in your heart after another, you're an adulterer. If you have stolen something that didn't belong to you, you're a thief. If you have lied, you're a liar. And if you've ever desired to be someone else and have what others have, you're a coveter and you have sinned the sin of discontentment. But that is summarized in this. It's the silence of relationship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It's the first and greatest commandment. And love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. It's interesting to me when I say these things that people are alarmed when I say these things, in fact, I saw it in some of your faces. You became offended 
by the fact that, well, I've told a lie, but I'm not a liar. I've stolen a piece of candy, but I'm not a thief. The reality, you, you see the effect of how we've taken sin and, and we have reduced it? See what we've done? Come on, track with me on this because this is huge. We get this as a family. We'll be the first ones. There won't be anybody ask you to bow before God. Well, I'll be bowing because we're, Ryan said, we're desperate for rescue. <laughs> it's, always, it's easy to be desperate for rescue for somebody else. Oh, dear Lord, Josiah needs so much help. <sighs> but it's harder to be desperate for me because I want to justify. I want to say, I'm okay. And he could be not okay, and it's okay because he is. And he could become our okayness. That's from the 70s, a little changed, but I did, it, I did steal that. Okay, so what do we do? What are seven ways to respond to the revelation of, of sin? How do I respond to this? Okay, first of all, don't readjust these standards to the culture. We don't have to catch up with the culture. We don't have to catch up with the culture. This book has been preserved for over 2,000 years so that we, you, you, you could be in the hearing of it. So you could know the truth. And you know what? You have no excuses. You walk out of here and say, that doesn't, that doesn't apply to me. That's fine. Someday you're going to stand before him and he's going to say, hey, that little Irish Scottishman, he held up the Bible in front of you. You ain't got no excuse. You heard it. You heard it. Second of all, stop seeking a higher self-esteem or blaming others or your environment for the experience of guilt that you're feeling. Stop it. Own it. Third, remember a truth. Listen to this. It is a part of human dignity not to live as victims, but to take responsibility for your conduct. It is dignity. I know what the evil one is saying. The evil one is saying, no, 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 no. If you admit that, you're weak and you're, you're going to be like losing yourself. Dude, do that. No way. No way. You just be gaining yourself an understanding of the truth that can begin the movement to set you free. Fourth, accept the divine diagnosis of our human condition is true. Don't try to justify it. These 13 things are true. Did you connect with one, two, three, or all 13? They're true. They're true. Fifth, let your heart be drawn to the only God who has the answer in Jesus Christ. Don't let, listen to me, don't let pride get in your way. I often call pride the pee ride. The pee ride. It's the personal ride. I'm just going to kind of like stay on my train. Don't let it get in the way. Don't harden your heart, but let God soften it right now. Hear him. Know that he's speaking right to you and just let him have his way. It's amazing you're not losing something. You are gaining everything. Sixth, turn to God by confessing your sin. Tell God he's right and you're wrong. Repent of the actions that came in response to the sin and turn from it. Turn to God, turn away. Turn to God, turn away. And seventh, remember every unbeliever you meet has enough revelation of God to make their unbelief without excuse. The power of the law is the fact that it reveals that we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat together. There's no superiority. There's no one better than anyone else. 
Zero. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who comes to me will never walk in darkness. That's what's... Oh, will you stay in the darkness in front of you? Will you receive the light? Oh, will you stay in the darkness? The choice is yours. He is a very kind gentleman. He will never bust his way into you. But he's inviting you. How is he inviting you? Ryan, what did you sing? How is he inviting us? What was the song? Oh, I thank you. <laughs> yes! Just as you are. You don't have to change. You don't have to. You know, Jake this morning. Yeah, that's right, you. You did not wash your face before you jumped in the shower. Or maybe you didn't jump in the shower today. <laughs> but if you did jump in the shower, you didn't wash your face first. You just jumped in the shower. We don't have to clean up to come before God. He is our cleanliness. He is all we need. But you never know it until you come to understand this. Amen. Stand with me as we pray. <laughs> Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, such a hard passage. Probably centrally one of the hardest passages to preach in Scripture. And yet so important because, Father, unless we, unless we see you, we'll never see ourselves. Unless we see ourselves, we'll never see you. And so, Father, I pray that in some way, shape, or form, your spirit has connected what's being said, what has been said uh, to, to each one of our hearts and that we see ourselves here and outside of grace where we would have been without you. And for those who have never received you as Lord and Savior, I pray that, Father, that as your spirit has revealed to them the reality of life, that, Father, their hearts are not repelled by you, but that as they find unity in the same boat together on this, that they're in a group of people that understand, that understand, and that they're drawn to the tenderness and the love and the beauty of who you are. Heavenly Father, I just, I just thank you for uh, being here today and for talking to all of us. And I pray that, Father, our hearts, our lives are drawn to you uh, in the amazing love that you have for us. In the precious name of Jesus, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.